Hello and welcome to Below the Line. My name is Hannah Ocher and I'm going to be your host for this series. This is a series dedicated to exploring Manitoba's high child poverty rates. I'm very excited about embarking on this journey together with you as we discover causes and factors behind these high rates and potential solutions that could curb and ultimately eradicate child poverty in Manitoba. Thanks so much for joining me. So let me first introduce myself a little bit. I'm currently a journalism major in the Creative Communications program at Red River College, but I also hold an undergraduate degree in Human Rights and Global Studies from the University of Winnipeg. I was inspired to start Below the Line because I believe that every person has the right to be treated fairly and equally as determined in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Children in Manitoba are falling between the cracks. According to the Manitoba Child and Family Report Card 2017, 1 in 3.7 children live in poverty in Manitoba. In 1990, Canada signed the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child and made that treaty officially valid a year later. The core principles of the convention include devotion to the best interests of the child, the right to life, survival, and development, and respect for the views of the child. Today, children in Canada are not enjoying the full scope of these rights, because of our high child poverty rates. Despite Canada's commitment to this treaty, we are not meeting all of our obligations. According to UNICEF, Canada's child poverty rates are 26% before taxes, ranking us 18 out of 35 industrialized nations' overall poverty rates. Although child poverty is an issue countrywide, it is especially dire in Manitoba. Manitoba holds the spot for the highest child poverty rates in Canada, and has so for several years. An organization called Campaign 2000 releases yearly report cards measuring poverty rates per province. Year after year, Manitoba tops the list for the highest levels of poverty in the country. According to the latest Campaign 2000 report, one in 3.7 Manitoba children live in poverty. This number disproportionately affects Indigenous kids. The report states that child poverty rates are 23 to 53% higher for Indigenous youth. The organization went as far as to say that child poverty in Manitoba has become a chronic nightmare. That's pretty strong and, in my opinion, fairly troubling. So why does this problem persist? What's been going so wrong that our children continue to suffer from the worst poverty rates in the country? And why are Indigenous children considerably more susceptible to poverty? It's clear that child poverty is a major issue in our province. The thing about poverty is that it is a universal problem. I think often people think of poverty as something that only occurs in third world countries or in developing countries. There's this thing that I recently learned called poverty porn. So it's an advertising tactic for nonprofit organizations, and it is a way to exploit a person's position as poor to gain sympathy to paint a certain picture of poverty. Often this is shown in TV advertisements depicting African children in small villages, they're malnourished, flies are landing all over their bodies, their eyes are downcast and sad. This dehumanizing form of advertising has shown poverty in a certain light and has influenced the way we perceive poverty, especially related to children. The reality is, is that poverty doesn't always look like this. Child poverty looks like a child that doesn't play sports because their family can't afford the registration and equipment fees. Child poverty looks like a lunchbox containing crackers and candy, missing vegetables and fruit not by choice, but as a result of budget. Child poverty also manifests in our justice and welfare systems. Indigenous kids are disproportionately impacted by these systems. 
According to Statistics Canada, nearly 80% of incarcerated minors are Indigenous, and about 90% of kids in care are Indigenous. And research links causes of these high rates back to poverty. During these 10 episodes or so, I will be learning more about child poverty and why it has become such a huge problem in Manitoba. I've enlisted the help of advocates, experts, and those with lived experience to help me better understand this issue. Each episode is dedicated to a different topic about child poverty. So these episodes include child poverty and youth homelessness, child poverty and health, child poverty in Indigenous communities, and child poverty in education. With this project, I hope to answer the questions, why is child poverty such a massive issue in Manitoba and why does it persist? Below the Line strives to raise awareness about the issue and to understand what can be done to curb and ultimately eradicate this issue. But before we get into all of that, it's important that we break down this child poverty thing because honestly, it can get pretty complicated. So how are we defining poverty and low income? There's actually considerable debate about how to define poverty. This is because different measures get different results, and some results may be more favorable than others at times. There are several ways that poverty and low income can be measured, but I'm going to briefly explain the three big ones used by Statistics Canada. So there's low income cutoffs, low income measures, and the market basket measure. For the sake of this series, I will be using the market basket measure, which is used by the Manitoba government. This measure compares the cost of living differences against the cost of basic needs and necessities. The measurement attempts to determine an income that maintains a modest standard of living while also fostering social inclusion. Basic needs included in the measurement are a nutritious diet, clothing and footwear, shelter, transportation, and other goods such as personal care items. Moving on, there's also the low-income measure, which according to Stats Canada is the most commonly used low-income measurement. The low-income measure looks at a fixed percentage of a median household's income. Adjustments are made to the measure based on the number of people residing in a household, and more people often means more income is needed to sustain the household. Low-income measures are calculated three times, first using uh, the market income, then before-tax income, and thirdly with after-tax income. So that is the low-income measure in a nutshell. Lastly, there's the low-income measure and cutoffs. These rates are established using data from the Survey of Household Spending, which is a yearly Stats Canada report which measures how households spend their money. This measurement determines the income level which impoverishes families because the family has to spend a greater portion of its income on necessities compared to an average family of a similar size. Like I said, you don't really need to worry about the low-income measurements or the low-income measure cutoffs for this series as I will be using the market basket measure as my base. I will be defining children and youth as individuals from infancy to 18. Effects of child poverty can continue into adulthood, so I'll be discussing child poverty related to individuals up to 29 years old as well. This will become important when discussing youth homelessness and education in upcoming episodes. So I'm going to give you a bit of a sneak peek into a few of the episodes that I have lined up. So I got the opportunity to sit down with Cassandra Gallandrina and her sons, Victor and Keegan. They're a wonderful family. They grew up in poverty and lived in Gilbert Park, which is a Manitoba housing complex in Winnipeg, and they lived there for 11 years. The family of five struggled to transition out of poverty, and Cassandra worked really hard to keep her kids out of trouble, with only a few hiccups along the way. Now, a year after moving out of Manitoba housing, they are dedicated to giving back. Have a listen. 
And sometimes I have I have some reminders of what it was like because you you always kind of live in your own now. Um, well, the past kind of haunts you from time to time. You live in your now, and you're dealing with what you have now. And so I still have financial stresses, but especially hearing the boys talk about things that they remember and and things that they didn't get or or just conversations that we've had like outside of today that remind me of holy crap that's kind of where I came from or even um through volunteer work or work I do on a daily basis hearing someone else's story and going oh yeah I've been there and and there is a, a way out and there is a possibility and it gets easier and you you forget and then times like this where I'm kind of, and I'm, I'm not forced, but you, you, you have to look back and it's, it stirs up odd emotions and, and memories and, and guilts and you just do what you can. You, you focus on forward and you, you keep moving and it gets easier. Shockingly, it gets easier and easier to forget it too. I find a lot of the time I kind of forget what I went through and then, you know, you kind of get reminded by just seeing things on like the news about like a lot of the things that have been happening especially that shootout situation that was happening in Gilbert Park it's like you knew those kids you grew up with those kids and it's like now this is what's happening it's like that could have been me but I found like really positive mentors at the Boys and Girls Club and I really lucked out with the friend group that I had um and I find that without the friends that I had I probably would have found it somewhere else and that's the thing about growing up in poverty it's like all you really have is family and it's either you have the family at home or you have the family outside that you make and it's like that's really important it's like we had a strong family inside of our home with lots of like support for each other even though we fought a lot and then outside of my home my friends who I consider my family um were really just kind people that didn't want to be involved in all the gangs or the drugs and you know just looked for forward to a brighter future because they realized we were in pretty messed up situations yeah i also had the opportunity to sit down with dr marnie brownell a lead research scientist at the university of manitoba center for health policy her work focuses on population research with an interest in child development and well-being i find her research absolutely fascinating but honestly it gets kind of complicated. She uses what's called administrative data, which is essentially any data collected by a government agency. And she takes that data and finds connections between things like perhaps diabetes rates among children and might be able to link that to family income. She does a way better job of explaining all of this in the episode, but here's a sneak peek about what she had to say about how stress can impact child development. So you, you talked a bit about stress Mm-hmm. And from the reports that I've read, stress is a big factor in health. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about how stress specifically impacts brain development of children? Because I find that fascinating. Yeah, and I'm certainly not an expert in, in brain development of children, but I do know there's been quite a bit of work in the area of something called toxic stress. And so, you know, we all we all experience stress in our lives. And in fact, some of us need a certain amount of stress right. to, to or else get we'd be ineffective. Done. Yeah. And it's the same with kids. Mm-hmm. You know, kids all experience stress. And I think, you know, in some ways kids need some stress to help them through various developmental stages. Mm-hmm. But there's a level of stress where it becomes no longer really, it's not helping you, and it's starting to do some harm. So what happens sort of simply in, in stress is there's all sorts of 
hormones and chemicals that are, are flowing through your body. And, and the stress hormones, if there's too many of them floating around, it's, it, can, it can hamper brain development. Mm -hmm. So with toxic stress, what happens is a kid has a high degree of stress and it happens often or it happens for prolonged periods of time. And importantly, if there's no adult or adults in their lives that can spend the time with them to help them reduce that stress, mm -hmm. then those hormones keep circulating around mm -hmm. and around and around and around. And that is what actually they think is impacting brain development and mm -hmm. can actually you know, hinder, hinder brain development. Mm -hmm. And so what are some stressors that low-income kids might be facing that is heightening this, this stress level? Well, you know, it, it could be as simple as, you know, I'm hungry and I'm not getting the, the right amount of nutrition. Not that, not that that's simple, but, you know, that mm -hmm. sort of just focusing on one thing. Or, you know, I've got, a, I've got a family of five or six and we're all living in one room and I never get quiet time by myself. Or, you know, I'm worried because mom's worried. Um, so it could be things like that. Also, we find in low-income homes, um, there's, there's increased possibility, because of that stress, of child maltreatment, um, you know, whether that comes in the form of neglect because the parents don't have the time to spend with the kid or they don't know that, you know, it's really good to spend a lot of time playing with your kids or it could actually be physical abuse. And that too, you know, it's shown that stress of low income can exacerbate and increase rates of child maltreatment. You can expect a lot of interesting conversations in each episode of Below the Line. Every guest brings a super interesting perspective of child poverty based on their work and their lived experiences. Other guests that will be coming on the show include Karen Birch, who is the Education and Training Director at Resource Assistance for Youth, in addition, there'll be the team from Here and Now, the Winnipeg Plan to End Youth Homelessness coming on for an episode about youth homelessness. That team is working to eradicate youth homelessness in Winnipeg by 2021. You can listen to the latest episodes of Below the Line on CKUW 95.9 FM on Mondays between 4pm and 5pm. The first episode will be airing next Monday, which is January 7th, and I will be chatting with Molly McCracken, who is the director of the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives Manitoba office, and we talk all about poverty reduction policies. She discusses pros and cons of these government-implemented policies and Canada's first poverty reduction strategy. She critiques the Manitoba government's outdated poverty reduction plan. She also talks about some ways municipal governments can get involved in poverty reduction. If you can't catch that episode live, I will be uploading episodes to iTunes after they air. You can find those on my website at belowtheline.ca. On the website, I recommend you go check it out. There's a lot of interesting things on there as well. You can find interview profiles from all of those who are featured on Below the Line. You'll also find up-to-date news and articles related to child poverty, which you can find under the news section. You can also get in touch with me through the website under the contact section, and you can do so also via Twitter. So I'd love for you to follow me at below the line underscore MB. I would love to hear from you, so tweet me your thoughts as well. Also, stay tuned for more updates on Twitter about a live panel discussion I will be hosting on CKUW in the next month or so. I'm bringing together three of Below the Line's guests to chat live on air about child poverty. More details will be coming soon though, so stay tuned for that on the website as well as on Twitter. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll catch you in the next episode.